We're in James chapter 5 this morning, and I've uh, been walking through the book of James, just uh, one of my favorites in the New Testament. Uh, a lot of practical information, James 5, 19 and 20, last two uh, verses of our study. I've thoroughly enjoyed walking uh, over the last several months uh, through this book, but uh, what an incredible book it has been. So James, uh, it's an incredible book. So, so James is a half-brother of Jesus Christ, right? His older brother uh, happened to be Jesus Christ, half-brother, that is. And so what he had was he was privileged to be able to have a front-row seat to watch, to watch uh, the living Word every single day of his life. He had the privilege to be able to see what Christianity really looks like to its perfection because Jesus Christ was his big brother. Imagine that. And so he writes a letter uh, uh, that's really full of practical application and illustration, just simply saying, hey, listen, it's, 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 it's great to have a belief system of Christianity, but, but, but the belief system ought to impact your behavior. Okay, And so he writes in that line, as he's writing with that thought process, just here's some practical information for you as a Christian, what it's supposed to look like along the way. And so it's, it's, uh, as he closes out this letter, it's really talking about our ministry to others, our ministry to others. We would call it the ministry of reconciliation. It's not given to any one specific person within the church. It's anybody and everybody who has tasted the goodness and the grace of God Almighty needs to be busy about the ministry of reconciliation, to have others on my mind, to have others on my heart. And we live in a world in which we're really uh, uh, been corrupted with a, a selfish attitude. We're very quick to look at me, myself, and I. You know, and even in our nation, we see that happening. It used to be, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And, and, and that's just not the world that we live in anymore. It's not about uh, the nation. It's about me, myself, and I, and what's in it for me. And we see those detrimental impacts even in uh, creeping its way into the life of the church. When you're talking about the church and when we gather together with brothers and sisters, if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll evaluate anything and everything that's taking place by my personal preference about me, myself, and I. And that's not what it's supposed to be about. Not long ago, in fact, there was a guy named Rick Warren. Many of you have heard of his name. Uh, you've seen his book. Uh, pr probably, one, In fact, it's one of the most uh, top-selling books that's been out for a long, long time, uh, Purpose Driven Life. But in his Purpose Driven Life, uh, the premise of the book was written uh, uh, with this thought process. It's not about you. If there's one thing that we can take away, we would have to say it's not about you. It's a bigger picture than that. And that's exactly what the life of Jesus Christ was like. And that's what James is saying your life ought to be like and my life ought to be like. If we're emulating and following our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's going to be busy about others. Jesus' life was all about others. Philippians chapter number 2 and verses 3 and following. Philippians 2 verse number 3 and following. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on 
a cross. And when you think about what God is saying to us in his word today, it's, 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 it, it'll, it'll change everything that you do. In other words, God says, I want to use you. Listen, I want to use you. If you have been saved, if you are a blood-bought child of God, I've been born again, and God wants to use me to impact others for all of eternity. That's a big deal. God wants to use me. God wants an instrument in his hands. He says, I want to use you. I want you to be my instrument to impact them for all of eternity. It changes everything. In fact, when we come, we come with so much more significance with which we live life, not just at workplace, but even as we gather together on a Sunday morning like this, because I'm not coming to evaluate the sermon. I'm not coming to sing a song and say whether it was my song or not my song. I'm coming to say, man, God, I want to be used by you to encourage somebody today around me. And so when I come, I'm not walking away saying, well, nobody talked to me today. How many times do I hear that? For goodness sakes, been a member of this church for 20 years, and then you're going to complain. Nobody talked to me. When does it become your church? And, 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 and that God would say, man, I want to use you to impact somebody around you. Y'all all right? God, help us. Just recognize, man, it's not about me. I'm thankful to be saved and grateful to God to save me. But listen, if he didn't have a plan and a purpose, he could take me home. But he said, I'm going to leave you there. Why are you leaving me here? Because he wants to use me, and he wants to use you. And it's all about others. There's two groups of people that we're talking about this morning. We're talking about <clears throat> struggling saints and sinners. The ministry of restoration for saints and redemption for sinners, all under the umbrella of what we would call reconciliation. God says, I want you to be a part of that process. I want you to be a part of that process. He says in verse number 19, my brethren, save people. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting when you're looking at this passage of Scripture because I believe he has in mind, and he's writing about two different groups of people. Again, the restoration of a, loss, of, 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 of a saint, someone who is struggling, someone who is straying. He uses the word turns twice, once in verse 19, once in verse 20. Turns or converts, whatever you're looking at this morning, it's one and the same word, but to convert, to turn. <clears throat> and when you look at that word throughout the New Testament, it's used in two different ways, because a lot of times, why, why are you saying this? Because sometimes we look at the word conversion, or we look at the word convert, and we immediately say, well, yeah, man, a lost person needs to be converted. Well, you know what? Not only does a lost person need conversion, sometimes a saved person also needs conversion, to turn around, to go, stop going the direction you're going in, and come back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the word's used twice in, in two different ways throughout the New Testament. Luke chapter number 22, verses 31, uh, the Bible says it like this. In Luke chapter number 22, and in verse number 31 <clears throat> and 32, it says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, there's the same word being used. Strengthen your brothers. Why? Because Jesus says, man, I know exactly what's going to happen. You're going to deny me, but Peter, I'm going to call you back. You're going to turn back around and come back to me. 
conversion, to be converted. First reference has to do with, again, a lost person or, or a saved person. The other one has to do with lost people. In fact, it's used several different ways, but in Acts 3, verse number 19, therefore repent, turn around and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. James is saying, hey, listen, let's be busy about this ministry of reconciliation, this ministry of turning around, this ministry of conversion. And really, again, there's three different people that we're going to talk about as we move forward. The first one has to do with the restoration of saints, the backslidden believer. What's the backslidden believer? What does he look like? Well, he's that dude or he's that uh, lady that, that, that at one time, man, they got saved and they're on fire for Jesus Christ and they're very much plugged into the church. Might have been singing in the choir even or whatever. They've been very much faithful, very much a part of everything that goes in, in the church. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you're watching and it's like, man, they're just kind of drifting. They're just kind of drifting. They're not engaged very much in the music department anymore. They're not engaged very much in a connection group anymore. And in fact, before you know it, they're not really here for worship very often and they just kind of fall off, off, off into the darkness. And you think, man, what in the world is happening with them? Well, it's a backslidden believer. When you're talking about backsliding, this spiritual state that one can find themselves in, it's not an immediate blowout. All of a sudden, man, I'm on fire for Jesus, and the next thing you know, you're just gone. It's, it's a slow leak. It's a slow fade. I've heard a song about that. It's, it's, it's a slow leaking process. A little nibble here, a little nibble there. That's what it looks like for someone to begin to stray from God. There was a time in their life when all of a sudden they met the Good Shepherd. You remember what that was like? You know, there was a time in their life when all of a sudden, man, they recognized Jesus Christ is a good shepherd, and he's provided for me. Not only has he provided for me, he's protected me, he's been very good to me. And the Bible says Jesus is our good shepherd. But then you know what else the Bible says about us? It says you're, you're sheep. If, if you're one of mine, if you're one of mine, if you're, if you're a child of God, you're sheep. And he calls us sheep for a reason, <clears throat> a lot of reasons. It's very practical illustrations along the way <clears throat> when you're talking about sheep. And one of them happened to be, there's never been a sheep born that's not prone to wander. You know what I'm talking about, spiritually speaking? Old song said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I love. What does it look like? Well, think about what happens to a sheep. Here's what it looks like to a sheep. All of a sudden, a sheep's with shepherd out in the field, right? <clears throat> Got a big flock, a bunch of sheep running around. And those sheep, all of a sudden, what they're doing is they're so engrossed in their own little world. And it's a little nibble. Shepherd's over there. It's a little nibble. They're drifting. They're drifting. They didn't intend to set out and say, I'm leaving the shepherd that I love, the one that protects me, the one that provides for me. They're unaware of the danger that they're falling into. Little nibble. Shepherd, come back. Continue to drift. Continue to drift. And before you know it, they no longer hear the voice of the shepherd. And they can't see him. And that's what happens sometimes spiritually. You meet people 
who drift. They're backslidden. They're backslidden. And it's a dangerous state to be a backslidden believer. We begin to wander from our word. You know, there's a time when you, when you get saved, man, and you're, you're so excited. And, and, and you look forward to opening the word of God. But then all of a sudden, you begin to drift. And you stop that time in the word. There was a time when you look forward to worship. And you gather together with brothers and sisters. And it's not just worshiping one day a week, all right? We're talking seven days a week. But especially those moments when we would gather with the saints, man. Can't wait to get together and worship. Before you know it, I'm drifting. I'm drifting. I'm drifting. Used to share the gospel. Used to have a heart for others. I don't even see their need anymore. Drifting. A backslidden believer. James says, hey, listen. There are such a thing as backslidden believers And maybe you're here today, and that's who you identify with. Come back to Jesus. James, in these verses, is saying, hey, here's what you need to be about. You be what we would call a beckoning believer. What do you mean by a beckoning believer? Call them back. Seek reconciliation between them and God. Whether they be a backslidden believer or a person that doesn't know Jesus, they need to be in right relationship with Jesus Christ. So be busy about beckoning others along the way. It says one who turns them back, not just a preacher, not just uh, a, a, a deacon, but any of us, all of us, we need to be busy about this ministry of reconciliation. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 18 and following, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Verse number 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Aren't you thankful to be reconciled? And how patient he has been with me. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The ministry of reconciliation, a beckoning brother. How does that look practically? This morning, I'm going to give you, I've got four things I wrote down. It doesn't exhaust the subject of reconciliation, but I'm just saying, if we're going to be busy about the ministry of reconciliation and take it seriously, I think there's some things that we need to be busy about. Number one, when you're talking about the ministry of reconciliation, to be a beckoning brother, you need to make sure you're doing it prayerfully, to do it prayerfully. The Bible says over in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and in verse number 9, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and in verse number 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. In other words, what was happening and the Apostle Paul was addressing is that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I want to be an instrument in the hands of God, but God alone can do the work. God, help me to work with him. Help me to work and just be an instrument in your hands. 
And so prayerfully, what we do is we recognize that God Almighty, I know that there's nothing that I can do apart from you, but I'm praying that your Holy Spirit would go in front of me and that you would begin a great work in their heart and in their life and that you would open their eyes, that you would give life to the dead because only you can do that. And so the ministry of reconciliation has to be done prayerfully. If we're not careful, we take the responsibility completely on ourselves as if I can talk somebody into something and that's not what he's calling us to do. He's saying, you just be an instrument in my hands with reconciliation, but recognize I hold the power. So number one, prayerfully, but number two, I would say privately, privately. And so Matthew chapter number 18, and in verse number 15, over in Matthew chapter number 18, and in verse number 15, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private, and if he listens to you, you've won a brother. In other words, we're not calling anybody out in public in front of everybody else. I remember... I remember one time <clears throat> I, I was with students and uh, there was a girl <clears throat> at the end of the night that said, hey, can, can you pray for, for a situation in my life? I said, yeah, sure, we'll pray for you. What's, what's going on? And she goes on this, this, this whole story. She said, man, <clears throat> I got a friend and, uh, and she, uh, she's just been really disobedient to her parents and, and she just treats people really nasty and um, she's just far from God. And I said, well, we'll pray for her. Is, is there a first name that we can add to that? She said, oh, you know her. It's Amanda sitting over there. She's <laughs> like, don't call somebody out in front of everybody. However, however, we go to our brother or our sister, not for condemnation, but for reconciliation with a heart that loves them privately, persistently, persistently, Why persistent? Because of the consequences. Because of what's at stake. If we're talking about if we're talking about reconciliation with a brother or sister in Christ, I believe that they do more damage for the cause of Christ than a lost person will ever do for the cause of Christ. Did you hear what I just said? I, as a born again believer, can do more damage to the name of Jesus Christ than any lost person can ever do to the name of Jesus Christ. Recognizing the seriousness of the condition and the consequences within which they are living, we need to be persistent. In other words, it's not a one and done, but that I care enough to be persistent in my beckoning. He says, if you're talking again, he says there's there's a death involved in this process and one of them happens to be spiritual the other one happens to be both physical and spiritual in other words a a brother in Christ can lose his testimony and damage the cause of Christ but the one who's lost completely is perishing why persistent because I understand the consequences of the state in which they're living God help me be persistence Don't give up on these people. There's damage that's done, damage to the name of Jesus Christ. Damage is done even among the brethren. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and in verse number 6, little leaven leavens the whole lump. In fact, the Apostle Paul in that chapter is dealing with sin among the brothers. And he's simply saying, hey, listen, do you understand the impact that a persistently sinning brother or sister has amongst the body? 
Why is that? Because a lot of times what we do <clears throat> is we'll justify our own actions based on a professing believer. Well, they do it, so it must not be that big of a deal. I mean, they, they do it all the time. It's not a big deal. And he's saying, hey, listen, understand <clears throat> the damage that's done, but the damage also that's done to a person themselves, whether it be, again, a lost person or a saved person. When you're living in that state, man, there's damage that's done in sin. He's saying, be a beckoning brother. Make sure you're persistent with the ministry. But not only being persistent in the ministry, and in fact, I would even add, let me, let me add one more thing. Let me add two more things. That's under three. Three A and three B, all right? But when, 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 when we're beckoning, I would say two things to it. Number one, no absence ought to ever go unnoticed. What do you mean? Man, I'm in a small group, and Billy Bob wasn't here today. Somebody ought to reach out and call Billy Bob. I missed you. I missed you. I mean, you say, why would you do that? Because I hope you did miss them, number one. But number two, I want them to know, hey, we need you. I want you to be a part. Make sure you're walking. Make sure you're walking. It's a little bit of accountability, so you reach out. B, number two, under three. When you see somebody that you haven't seen in a while, maybe they've been drifting, don't go up to them and say, man, it's been forever. <laughs> I haven't seen you since last Christmas. No. Please don't do that. It's a, it's a sensitive thing. If someone's struggling, it's sensitive. And, and, and if you're faithful, it's like, oh, they ought to be here anyway. Oh, yeah, you can say that. But I'm just telling you, be gentle. Leads us into number four. Lovingly seek reconciliation. Lovingly seek reconciliation. Do you remember the story of Peter with the Lord Jesus Christ? When Jesus said, hey, uh, you guys are going to deny me. And Peter was so adamant. Man, I'll die for you. I'll never, I'll never forsake you. And he said, oh, you will. In fact, three times before the rooster crows. You know the story. You remember that? And the Bible says that Peter denied Jesus three times. And in Luke's gospel, it says that when the rooster crowed, Jesus looked at him. Eye contact. I believe that when Jesus looked at him, do you know there's a way that we look at people? And it matters. It speaks. It speaks. I can look with eyes of love and compassion, and I also can look with eyes of criticism and condemnation. And I believe that Jesus Christ, in that moment, looked with eyes full of love and compassion. Peter, I prayed for you that you turn around. And I want you to know that I love you. 
beckoning brother needs to beckon others lovingly. God help me to be busy about the ministry of reconciliation amongst backslidden believers, but also sinners. Verses 19 and 20. My brethren, if any of you strays from the truth, one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. <clears throat> the redemption of sinners. You know, God said to his people, I want you to be my witnesses. He didn't give that job to angels. He gave it to us. Why? Because we have tasted the saving grace of God. And he says, you know, you know, you know, they don't, what it's like to be lost. And you know what it's like to be forgiven. And you know what it's like to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. I want you you are my plan A. And there's not a plan B. And yet, when you look at Scripture, and the Bible says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yet, when you engage people, and you begin to talk to people, I believe that amongst the people of God, the most common sin committed is the sin of omission. What do you mean the sin of omission? Let me ask a question. When's the last time you engaged somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I know there's a thought out there that says, man, I don't have to speak. Don't have to use words. Sure you do. Sure you do. That's what a witness does. Wouldn't you hate to be charged with a crime and have a witness in your defense go up there and say, I'm witnessing. You know this guy? <laughs> I'd say he's a pretty stinking sorry witness. Doesn't help my case. Jesus said, I want you to help my case. I want you to be my witness. Why? Because people are perishing. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 16, over in the, in the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter number 16 <clears throat> says it like this. It's a story, 19 and following. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling off the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. That's what we're happening this side of heaven. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I'm in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus' bad things, but now he's being comforted here and you are in agony and besides all of this between us and you there's a great chasm that's fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from here to uh, there to us 
And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. What's he saying? They have the word. They have the Bible. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, in other words, the word of God, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Why I share that story? Because you and I are surrounded by people who are perishing. The reality of eternity needs to move us to shake off the planes of chains of complacency and be moved with urgency because we're surrounded by people one heartbeat from hell. And God says, I want you, I want you to be an instrument in my hands to impact others for eternity's sake. So, brothers and sisters, my question is simply this. Do you have others on your mind? I wonder if this morning maybe you might be here and you say, man, I got somebody that God has laid on my heart. I've got a brother or sister, son or daughter that's wandering. Hey, let me encourage you to be busy about the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of of restoration, of brothers and sisters, redemption for the lost. We are God's plan A, and there's not a plan B. God, help us be found faithful in this ministry. Would you do me a favor and join me for prayer this morning? Today we're going to pray, and after we pray this morning, we're going to be partaking of the Lord's Supper today. But before we get there, even now, I wonder if there's anybody here that would say, I'm not, I'm not saved, I'm not born again. Hey, listen, God loves you, and He wants a relationship with you. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son Jesus into this world not to condemn you, but to save you from your sins. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life. I can't work my way into a relationship. I can't be good enough. I can't go to church enough. I can't pray enough. I've got to come to a point in my life when I realize, man, I am not good. I am a sinner before a holy God. But you know what? God knows that. And He loves you so much that he demonstrated his great love for you, and that while you were still a sinner, Jesus Christ 
died on a cross for you. Because without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. And your sin is what separates you from a holy God. And today, if you will receive His gracious gift by faith, you can be saved completely. Right now, you just call on His name right where you are. God, I know that I have sinned against you. And God, I believe that you sent Jesus into this world, that He laid down His life for me. And He took it up again. He's alive. Please forgive me of my sin. Turn around. Turn away from. Repent. Convert. Come to Jesus. Call on Him while you may. Maybe you hear this morning, you'd say, man, I'm a backslidden believer. Man, there was a time when I was on fire, but I have drifted. I've nibbled and wandered and drifted. And I am not near my shepherd. But I want to be today. I want to be. Hey, convert. Turn around. Come back to him. Come back to him.